course i'm back with another new flow it's 2023 and yet it seems very few know you really must keep your leverage low now be careful what you borrow or it will all end in sorrow it's risky playing catch up now who have we got for mystery matchup in this first show we're talking about debt we won't be preaching about our number one bet it's mystery matchups, a new conversation, increasing the entropy, just like condensation. We're discussing sovereign, but not individual. You already know how to save your residual. Enjoy the show. It should be fun. Pleb Underground special, episode one. That's right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. It is the Pleb Underground Mystery Matchups, the first episode of its type. We've got two guests. They don't know. They don't know who each other is. And we've brought these two guests together to have some awesome conversation. Walton, do you want to you wanna add to that before we bring on our, uh, our first guest? Yeah, so this uh, Pleb Underground um, is a collective of, of a whole, whole bunch of uh, Bitcoiners producing um bitcoin media whether that's memes writing articles producing you know youtube shows podcasts etc the pleb underground youtube show uh, is a weekly show that that phil and i uh do um that's that you can find on this channel um but that shows more kind of you know news and analysis uh phil's been then dropping some you know short shorter clips looking at you know items and you know news bits like midweek um and and i thought we we'd like to have a longer uh more in-depth discussion about a few different things um and make it more accessible to plebs like there are you know a lot of a lot of shows that are pitched at certain levels um i think i think this is you know hopefully um yeah, quite accessible to to most people. Um, it's 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 not going to be. Um, it, it, it's going to be hopefully translated in terms that 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 yeah, normal people can understand. So um, yeah, I, ho I hope we I hope we do that for you. Um, please, um, yeah, if you if you're in the if you're watching live, please uh, uh, send us some comments and um, it'd be good to know. Um, but the 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 purpose of mystery matchups was especially that. You, you often get um, very similar conversations happening on a whole bunch of podcasts when the same guests or the same groups of guests kind of, you know, go around the circle, so to speak. Um, and I wanted to create different kind of conversation here. And so by doing mystery matchups, we're going to have different mixtures of guests than, than you might have, have, have experienced on other Bitcoin shows. Um, yeah, hopefully it works. Enjoy, guys. That was a much more in-depth explanation than I gave. I appreciate that. Definitely appreciate that. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to bring our first... Uh, what's up, Walton? Yeah, so episode one, we're talking about debt. like, w w And this is going to be Don't not just like personal debt, sovereign debt, uh, debt spiral. Um, and hopefully we've got some some contrasting opinions. Um, but but hopefully, uh, yeah, you, you all learn some more. Um, yeah, please like and subscribe. Uh, Phil, our first guest. Absolutely. And we want to learn some more too, right? Like never Absolutely. 
right? Like this is part of it. So because these these guests definitely in both both cases have talked over my head um, a few times and I've had to go back and Google some of the stuff that they said so I can understand it. Anyways, anyways, let's start off. Let's bring our first guest. Here we go. None other than James Lavish. That's right, James. Great What's to up, see fellas? you on Pleb Underground on the mystery matchups. Really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sounds like a fun, Very cool. uh, fun program. Awesome, man. Awesome. And we're going to bring you on to the regular weekly show as well. Um, but uh, at, at, a, at a later time, when when things have calmed down. Um, but look, for the, for the people who, not that I think that anybody doesn't know who you are, but if they don't know who you are, just give a little bit about yourself and everything. Uh, so I am a longtime institutional investor. I've been in hedge funds or private equity for uh, almost 30 years. Uh, <laughs> I'm a lot older than I'm about you two put together, I imagine. So, um, <laughs> no, I so, doubt that. Uh, I doubt yeah, that. <laughs> I put my, I call myself a reformed hedge fund manager because uh, back in 20, 2020, I finally, I, I bit the orange pill I, and I, I understood and I really understand uh, Bitcoin as a, as a solution to so many of the problems that we have in this world right now. So, um, yeah, I've been, I'm, I've, uh, met a lot of people in this space, some of the most intelligent people that in, in all of investing right here, uh, in the Bitcoin world. So I'm happy to be here and, and, uh, and talking to you guys. And thank you so much. That is absolutely awesome. And I, I really appreciate, uh, I, I really do appreciate your takes. Uh, I, I think that, um, you know, especially coming from the background that you come from, I remember the first time I met you um, and that you explained that you come from traditional finance. I was kind of shocked because of the types of the types of tweets and the takes that you take, I, I think, are much more orange pill. James than I actually thinks because James actually <laughs> thinks rather than kind of just repeating verbiage that, that, that someone else is saying, like like most people in traditional finance. I try to. I try to think it's hard, man. You get brainwashed. It's really difficult to get out of that money mindset. Institutional so. bias. It's funny how they talk about that on the CFA, and yet, like everyone seems to have it, despite. Right on. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So, so yeah, and so I, what I do is I I try to my what I try to do uh, in this world is I I try to take my experience and my knowledge, and and uh, and bring it to. A level that everybody can understand you know it's not that difficult the concepts aren't difficult it's just the terms and the terminology and the acronyms and it's confusing for people because they've never they haven't been taught it you, you know uh it's criminal that we're not taught this stuff in school um and that's what i'm trying to help people overcome and get that knowledge in a way that's really simple for them to understand so i have a a newsletter called the informationist that uh that i put out every week that just takes one financial concept and breaks it down super simply for you um so it's uh that's that's kind of what i do and that so you see that in my in my posts very nice very nice uh yeah we've got people in the uh, in the chat calling for walton to take off his shirt but i not, not today walton guys it's still january like maybe 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 it, when it's the summer again like come on slow down <laughs> all right um, so, so anyway guys so today we're, we're gonna we want to talk about debt i want to i think First, firstly, um, well, I think we we talk a lot about money versus debt in the Bitcoin space, right? Um, because Bitcoin is very much money, um, and fiat 
is 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 debt essentially right um and to, to me the, the difference between them is that debt is essentially like a, a a contractual obligation to repay something in the future um there's a kind of um there's, there's a difference in time between when the two parties um kind of receive their end of the deal um whereas with with money um if if money is trans is transferred that that happens kind of there and then um but but the more important kind of difference is perhaps that um debt is something that should be used between parties that know each other whereas money is something that should should enable trade between parties that don't um in the fiat system um it, it, the fiat system is a debt based system um james perhaps you can kind of give us a bit of a a background on on kind of how this debt based system um i don't know came to be or has evolved to be kind of what it is um and and where you think we're headed in the future yeah i mean look just to to keep it simple and quick uh, debt is it's a way to borrow against future productivity, right? So you're you're basically you're borrowing something to produce something that you're promising to to produce in the future. You know that's that's what you're doing. So um, if you don't produce enough, then you can't pay back what you borrowed. So you have to be, be able to produce enough plus a return for yourself for it to make sense, right? And so the problem is, um, you know, we as as countries as developed countries. We at, when we came off the gold standard uh, and uh, and we started you know, borrowing more and more, we were able to borrow more than we were producing because we didn't have to tie our currency to something that that is tangible that we have to have in a vault, you know. So we could tie it to something that's just a promise. So debt became something that enabled us to grow our economies pretty rapidly. And so you saw us expand pretty rapidly over the last number of decades. However, what we also saw is that debt can create bubbles because you're, you can borrow. If, if you find a lender that is willing to lend to you, uh, even if you're a very risky borrower, then it can create bubbles, especially if there's a lot. I mean, we saw that in 2008, the great financial crisis. And that's the problem uh, that we're that we've created in this world. That, that's so, the scene in the Big Short where they go and find all these strippers that seemingly have five five houses and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, because they right? were able to borrow, they they were able to to borrow all this money and and uh, and rent them out Airbnb and ne next thing you know, um, and they can't make their rent payments. Why? Well, because they weren't they didn't really understand the risk, and the risk was that they were borrowing at, flat, at at variable financing rates and variable interest rates. And as the interest rates went up, they suddenly couldn't make the, the monthly payments. And so they had to short sell their houses or just default on them. So, and th that's the problem is that America has gotten absolutely, well, not just America, you can see it in Japan, you can see it in all the developed countries, America, anywhere in Europe, we've gotten addicted to debt where now we're borrowing more than we make every year. And so, the problem is, and you guys have heard me talk about it, is we've entered what we call a debt spiral. And I can go into that more later. But basically, debt in and of itself is not is not a bad thing. 
because you can borrow against future, future productivity with it. That's not the bad thing. It's when you don't understand the risk of it and you over leverage yourself and you put yourself what we call in my in, in our business, we call it you get over your ski tips where you're just you're so far ahead of where you need where you should be. You you wind up uh, you you wind up tumbling. And that's and that's what we're, we're watching kind of in 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 real time. We saw it in the great financial crisis. And now, you know, we're feeling this pressure of all these developed countries getting over their ski tips. So. Yeah, so I, there was a comment there. They said yeah. fiat money is debt. I would say fiat currency is debt, right? Is that it's, you'll see it's, it's you know, I, I promise to pay the bearer of this, blah, 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 yeah. um, whole load of, you know, nonsense. But, uh, it, it, right, it, it, there is, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it doesn't actually represent some piece of fraction of a gold, of gold anymore. Um, right. it, it just, it, yeah, like there is nothing truly backs, uh, Fiat, a treasury. Fiat currency, nothing, right? nothing truly backs a treasury, right? And so, and well, look, anything can be currency, right? Everybody uses dollars because they trust that the that um, it's stable and it stores your value. But people are waking up to the fact that your value, your 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 hard earned money that you've that you've attained through work, is being eaten away every year by inflation. And so people are starting to realize that, and this is this is not that great of a store of value. So do I go back to gold? Do I go to Bitcoin? Where do I go? And that's one of the issues that we face right now. Bitcoin is is by far it's not even close. There's nothing that even comes close to it as as far as the you know the ultimate store of value as it's structured. But it's got to get to a it's got to have a larger market cap and less volatility for people to trust that. The thing is the US dollar, yeah, it gets eaten away every year, but you can trust that if you put your your dollars in the bank, that you'll have a few percent less next year, but you're not going to have 70 or 80 percent less. At least that's been, you know, that's been um the issue with the stores of value. Um, so and that's why gold has been uh arguably a strong store of value because it, it it does have more volatility way more volatility than the us dollar but you can see it it moves up with the money supply so that's just what it is we actually have a question uh from uh, one of our viewers here dj satoshi is asking um is that before when you were talking about the growth he's asking is that growth legitimate or simply growth on paper and before your answer like borrowed uh, growth right it, you're essentially yeah, it, i mean you look it's at a bit like there again you can compare these things to to biology right i think i think using um you know qe is a bit like using steroids you're 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 it's you're pumping your growth um, but it but it's not sustainable uh, and it can cause systemic problems at a later date. Exactly. I mean, and you, I mean, look, we, we've we've had so many advances in in <laughs> I, I hesitate to say medicine and pharmaceuticals because that's been a nightmare recently. Right. But we've, we have had some and we've had we've had uh, we've had tremendous. Um, I mean, look at the technology we're using. We're all yeah. sitting in different areas. I mean, like this isn't this is incredible. We borrowed against future productivity to, to create all this. People trust that they're going to get paid back later, you know, um, by somebody creating all this stuff. Okay, so our next guest is here, but I, I wanted to say that <laughs> also to our to our to our listeners that are go, that are that are desperate for the other guests to join. Yeah, they're, they're just about to join. Uh, please yeah. be patient. Yeah, exactly. The the next guest uh, is about to join. But what I was going to say was. 
you know what, what you were just talking about before, right? We borrowed against our, our, our future productivity. Um, mm -hmm. And what I'm thinking is, did we actually have to in order to have these breakthroughs? See, this is the it's, thing. It's we more that like once one country, right? if one country is, then, an, then another country is going to as well because it became about geopolitical positioning, all this sort of thing. Um, okay. Yeah. You, no? you, the answer, I, don't the I don't know. I think it's like a bigger topic than that because we really to. won't know. Sorry, James. <laughs> yeah, no, the answer is you don't have to, but it does accelerate it. You know, I mean, look, you just think about it. If you want to go just yourself, if you want to go and open a restaurant, you can either you can do something where you work for enough money that you get in the bank that you can go open that restaurant in in a few years. And then you can, you know, because you, you have to make enough money to either either lease the real estate, to pay your workers, to buy them the products, to buy the meals, to buy the tables, the, the, all the, the plates and the, the cutlery. Or you can borrow a bunch of money, open the restaurant, get it going, and then, you know, pay that debt back as you make money in the restaurant. Because the restaurant can open in weeks rather than years. Does that make sense? So, I mean, it's just like, it, that's, that's how that's, that it can be good. Now, if you said, I'm going to open a restaurant, you know, in the worst, uh, on the absolute worst corner of, of the street, that's not, that's never, that, uh, that real estate has never worked ever. And I'm going to open a restaurant that's new and exciting, and it's going to cost a ton of money. Well, that's a lot of risk. It's probably a dumb thing to do, you know? So, so yeah. What you're saying is it comes down to, being responsible or irresponsible. And I think that's a perfect moment for us to introduce our new guest who, who likes to toe this line uh, quite quite frequently. Um, of course, that is Magoo. <laughs> Magoo. Mystery matchup, number two. Mr. Matchup. I, I would have expected you to have a Zoolander uh, photo up. <laughs> I would. I try, to, I try to Photoshop the duck lips. Didn't have enough time. I was late as it is, so I thought I'd just throw up the classic, the classic avatar. <laughs> Very well known. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Magoo. Really appreciate it. Okay, so I don't so, know if I don't know if you've been able to hear uh, any of the conversation that we've been talking about right now, but essentially, so, just back oh, yeah. to just back to the concept of mystery matchups. Um, the idea is that we're going to have different combinations. I feel like J James James goes on a lot of you know prestigious shows. Um, ones ones that wouldn't entertain Magoo, and so this conversation doesn't doesn't happen. Uh, but I here it is, uh, live from the pleb underground. Uh, as Green Candle is saying in the chat, let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, James is in the castle per se. I'm outside on the streets hanging out with uh, the clientele of Jack the Ripper. I am, I am working, dude. You don't need to even work. So. <laughs> Who's in the bathroom by the sounds of it? That is so backwards, man. He's got this little, he's got this, this little photo of, of, you know, Magoo. Half the listeners don't even know what that is. And, you know, well, he, yeah. like he's just. He's just he, he, like he, he's uh, <laughs> not to be taken seriously. The guy is smart, man. <laughs> he's really smart. Wait, he's smart, but he's not to be taken seriously. He doesn't is want this to be because taken he made Greg Foss cry. Is that is that why? Is that what this is about? <laughs> I that was not me. That was not uh, me. Um, 
Yeah, just to bring it back to what I was listening to what some of James was saying and just like the overall discussion about debt being good or being bad. I think James is right. If you had a somewhat of a laissez-faire uh, aspect when it came to debt in, in, the, in the, the rates of debt that is being issued, the problem is, so James is talking about it's good if you know what you're doing and you're making wise decisions. And everyone is basically making their decisions based off of incentivized economics, what they think is good, and vice versa. The problem comes in where you have a central planners and the hubris thinking that they can move the where they dictate what the yield or what the rate of the cap cost of capital should be. And even if people are smart in making the best decisions that they can be making, they're making decisions off of data points that just aren't reality in the free market because they're being manipulated by a central planner and they're destined to make bad decisions when you have that such a, a dichotomy happening in, in the economy. And so even if you're smart and you're making all the right decisions that James says is good when it comes to issuing or taking on debt to kind of project out your growth, essentially, it, you could be making decisions on just absolutely bad data that is you think is good, but it's bad. And so the, the way that I look at it as well, like it comes down to there's two kind of separate debt issuances, right? Like you'll have sovereign debt that's being issued and then you'll have like corporate or commercial debt, like more real debt that's being issued that's being put into the economy. Obviously, if the treasury spending, it goes into the economy. But at the end of the day, we haven't had a recession in like 14 years, 12 to 14 years. And so when you make bad decisions, you need to call up the herd, right? Like you need these people making bad decisions to actually not be around anymore. Because if you keep them alive, they're just going to do more. They're, you're giving capital to people that are not using it wisely and you're not punishing them. You're rewarding yeah, them. Let's, you're so, a, let's, let's, so let's talk about it. So, so back in 2008, 2009, there are some big banks that should have absolutely fucking failed. You know, they should have failed, but they didn't. And so like Magoo is saying, I agree with you, Magoo, that, you know, they uh, they were not they they did not uh, suffer the consequences of their idiocy. And unfortunately, you know, we all subsidized it. You know, I mean, we, we subsidized it through our, our tax dollars and, and issuance of, of treasuries and, and QE. And, you know, for your listeners, what does that mean? It, it's the money printer go burr, you know. And so, yeah, I, it, it, it's absolutely true that. And maybe and that's a, maybe that's the point is that there's no way for you to have responsible uh, debt issuance in this world now because of like you like we're talking about. Just to break it down, break it down for your listeners. Some, you know, what 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 Magoo was saying was that central planners are deciding what rates of return are you, you're going to get on your debt. And they they set this rate, the federal funds rate. And it's the it's the shortest rate. You know, it's the overnight rate, basically. And everything else is keyed off of that. And right now, what the market is saying is because, look, if you borrow money for a week, I, I you know, from me, I'm going to charge you one interest rate. But if you borrow money for, for a year or three years or five years or 10 years or 30 years, that rate is going to go up. Why? Because I'm committing my money for that much longer to you. So I need a higher rate of return in order to be compensated for that longer period of risk. Right. Well, what the, and as, what, uh, 
And as Tom Cruise would currently say, it's because I'm inverted. <laughs> exactly, because I'm inverted. And that's it. So now what we're seeing is that the entire market is saying, we're going into a recession. And the Fed's driving us there. And so the rates are going to be lower in the future. So you can, you can, you know, borrow uh, for if you could borrow at the 30 rate and then, you know, um, and lend it out at the you, you can you can you can invert it, you know, and that's what you're saying is that, look, the 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 right now the market is telling us without doubt we are going into a recession and that, uh, you know, anybody who's anybody who's borrowing at short term is uh, is going to get hurt from it. So, you know, what's you know, what's interesting about that, uh, that you just said that I actually was just looking at Visa's uh, quarterly report and they just explained that their numbers right now in terms of transaction volumes are 41 percent higher than they were in 2019. Wow. So. I'm not saying I'm not. I, of course, I'm not saying what you're saying is incorrect. But that's I'm saying because, that's probably just because people started no using Amazon. Going on. So, so, so let me let me let me let yeah. me take a different view on that. So in 2019, uh, what I take away from that is people weren't using their credit cards as much, meaning they didn't need to use credit. Now we're in this point. Like if you, if most people that are even on Bitcoin, Twitter, they haven't even been alive for one market cycle, so they don't. They, they just have they're just not aware of what a market cycle actually looks like and when you get near the end of a market cycle or a business cycle you see the shift from people the reduction of their savings and then you see the increase of use of credit instruments by retail um, people to sustain their life the way that they they need to sustain it and so the credit goes up right and then you get to a certain point and then credit delinquency starts starting a domino effect itself and so what that what I see from there is more people are becoming reliant on credit to sustain themselves in their lifestyle right now in 2023 as opposed to 2019. Yeah. And, and a little bit more context on that. I wrote this down in my in my notes the other day is uh, Citibank said that debit card spending was only up one percent last quarter and credit card spending was up 17 percent. OK, so people are swapping. Why? Because they don't have money in their bank account. So they're swapping for credit and the balances, their year over year balances are up 22%. And yeah, it's going to, it's going to be painful for a certain demographic. You see all these numbers that come out about, oh, well, you know, the, the personal debt's not that high and personal savings is still pretty good. And, but you don't see the demographic, right? I mean, there's, who's, there, there was a statistic out that just came out a couple of days ago and was like over 60% of of people who are making over a hundred thousand dollars a year living paycheck to paycheck that's just nuts right they're not saving money right oh I mean, even people know. that work in san fran like it's insane like it's not just people that are working your minimum wage jobs like there's wage slaves that are working at fortune 500 companies making two hundred thousand dollars a year that their lifestyle is so extravagant that they're still just making it by paycheck by paycheck like it's, yeah. it's not like a, a I, I don't know if you've seen certainly in the UK, I've seen a, a recent kind of increase in the supply of 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 housing at, you know, of real estate at, at a kind of higher level. And I think it's these kind of people, the these, you know, professionals who are making, you know, six figures a year um, that, that ha have, have bought and kind of overextended themselves now having to kind of downsize, um, you know, as their companies do the same. 
yeah and so those are usually if you want to kind of touch on real estate like so those are everyone now has been at least for the last 20 years almost or post gfc people have been looking at real estate as kind of like a store of value for the most part right and they're putting all of their capital into these quote unquote for 80 percent of, of the population it, it yeah. is the primary store yeah. of their primary store of value it is because realistically, if you want to look at like equities, so in America, 89% of all equities are owned by 10% of the population. So that lets you know that basically almost nobody in America actually owns equities or owns probably debt instruments like T-bills and treasuries and bonds. They're just most of their wealth is in the real estate market, right? And this is the, if you want to talk about the wealth effect, and why the Fed, I, I think, why the Fed needs the real estate market to come down is because that's the only way that they can actually subside consumer spending is because they need to make them feel poor, right? And most people get their sense of the wealth effect from their real estate and how much value it has or how much refinancing or line of credits or HELOCs they can get off of the value of, of, their, of, their, of their housing. And so that's why I think the Fed... James says that they're pushing this into a recession. I think that's by design. I think they're doing that on purpose. I don't think they're just making a policy mistake. I don't think it was a policy mistake in their eyes to be so slow on inflation going and raising the rates. And I don't think it's a policy mistake in their eyes of over tightening. I, I think that that's their design plan to do that. Yeah, it's a good point. But, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit more, more nuanced than people are, are, are giving it credit to. You know, I think that uh, they all think a lot of people think the fed and the treasury these these people are just morons they're not morons you know um they're they're dancing a very very tight line here uh so what do they need to do they need to get inflation down why because if you have runaway inflation then it puts pressure on the u.s treasury as a store of value okay so you cannot have that not when we are running a, deficits that are over a trillion dollars a year now and we have 31 trillion dollars of debt that we're just adding to every single year right so you've got to we've got to make sure that that treasury market remains liquid that it remains the global store of value it must be right so they need number one to get inflation down they don't want to drive us into a depression they don't want to just teach Americans a lesson about borrowing. That that doesn't that doesn't do any good. Why? Because then it kills GDP, which forces us to spend more, right? So they can't do that. But they do want to get inflation down, or at least the perception of it. However, they don't want to drive it into the ground. They don't want deflation. They can't have deflation. Absolutely, one hundred percent. The Treasury cannot have deflation. But the Treasury needs inflation. Why? Because We've got so much debt on our books, right, in the United States, $31 trillion, that we have to inflate it away nominally. Well, how do you do that? You do it, do it through what's called negative real rate of return. And what that means is, for your listeners, what that means is that the inflation rate is higher than you can actually get in the marketplace for, for debt, right? So the treasury rates are not, they're not, they're not compensating you fully for the inflation rates, which means that, what's that? And, and no, and I was going to say, that's why they were so slow to actually start raising the Fed's funds rate, right? Because they needed that dichotomy of the inflation rate being higher than what they're actually paying on their, their the debt that they're issuing. Right. So what I, I put out, a, I put out a piece this weekend and it was about, uh, 
And you know, the 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 punchline is that look, they the the Fed is using this this adjusted CPI number, and we don't need to go into that, but they're adjusting it again because they need to manipulate it to show that inflation's lower. Why? Because they right. want to, they don't care what Americans feel. They don't care what you know what we actually are paying in the grocery store. They care what other countries and, and other investors and other sovereign investors think that we're that we're paying. They There's care what no they bigger lie than CPI. Exactly. So they need to they need to make the CPI look a little bit better than it really is, but then let it run at somewhere between three and five percent for as long as they possibly can, you know? The perception of it. Now we all know that we're paying five. We're we're paying far higher than six, seven percent inflation on most goods, right? I mean, come on, we're going to any any store, any any. And, and that's why all these people, James, that you spoke of earlier, are no longer saving, and why all their credit card bills are racking up is because yeah. their everyday, every week costs, their food, their fuel, uh, are going up. up. Because they finally, like yeah. you can no longer export all of this uh in, in inflation um by by you know increasing globalization um and um you know exactly. and asset prices booming now finally the commodity prices are going up and hit and hitting you know these people that live week to week or month to month who or who try to save a little bit right so that's I mean, that that's also why I believe so like what James is saying you need to juice the pig so you need inflation higher than what you're paying and you can't, at least I don't think they can, because the psychology and the perception is everything what James is talking about, showing other sovereigns, other people looking to bring capital into the United States and using U.S. Treasuries as the global reserve asset, and it needs to remain liquid. If they, I believe, if they just held it basically at a, let's say the, the yields were, let's say, 2%, and let's say they said CPI was 3%, but realistically it was like 4 or 5%. If they tried to do that over a long extended period of time, people would wise up and they would not be willing to buy treasuries because they know the real yield would be negative. That's why I think that a lot of the times they're going, they're moving it up and down. So it seems sometimes that they're juicing it a lot higher than they are. Then they, then they start raising rates to make it assume or look like that they're actually doing something to combat it. And then sometimes it actually might look like, oh, now this is real yield. I'm getting real positive yield. Oh, but not for long. And then all of a sudden something else happens and then they have to reduce rates again. Now it's negative in real terms again. And it's just like yo-yoing effect of being a negative real yields to a little bit positive, but like over an aggregate period of time, it's going to be on average, you're going to be losing real, real, real yield. And no doubt. But I don't, but I don't, yeah, but I don't think, and I, I agree with, I agree with that, that, that that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way that they, they actually yo-yo it purposefully to, to uh, obfuscate it. However, I don't think most people would realize that if they're, if they're, if inflation is going up four or five percent and we're saying it's two or three percent, you know, it's going to take a long period of time for people to really wise up to it. You know, it's going to take a, 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 years and years. Right. Yeah. So, um, but Do you think the bond that, markets are that dumb, like like the people that have a bond mandate policy, whether it's annuities, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds. Do you think no, they're, they're not? No. Yeah. But Magoo, they're not dumb. They have a they have a mandate. It's all they can do. They have to be invested the there. as long as. As long as, you know, as long as they aren't getting getting killed on the bond trade, 
as long as they are making money for their investors, you know, that they're making money for their the pensioners, then they're doing their job, right? But uh, it has to be like a year like this year where they get slaughtered that they wake up. And so, but I do think going back to, you know, I do think that eventually the world wakes up to it. I think the world calls us out, you know, and unfortunately we're going to be, you know, fortunately for us, the United States, but we're going to be the last one to get called out on it. There's going to be other uh, economies that get called out first and whether it's Japan or Europe, man, they're, they're, they're both in a, they're both in a world of hurt and they're going to get called out. <laughs> and that's that, that you are, you are right. Uh, the United States is going to be the last cookie that crumbles is as mm -hmm. shitty as a situation. The U S is in the federal reserve and our debt, because like, everyone loves to single out the U S with how much debt we have, but just given how the economy and the world economies actually work and how debt, debt, the debt mm -hmm. system actually works, the U S is going to be the last one to fall. Like it is designed that way. Um, and how how long is that going to take? That's anyone's guess. You've had people since literally 1913 been saying this, or 19 since 1971. Peter Schiff's been saying it for the last 50 years, right? Is huh. it going to be 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 100 years, 150 years? No one really knows how long we can juice this pig to to the end of the road. Um, and but I know, but you know what's interesting, Magoo, is that I and I and I agree. I do. Um, I don't know how long it takes, but when you look at the debt chart now, man, the the the, the Fed and the Treasury they are, they are walking a tightrope because if you look at the the amount of debt now and the debt to GDP, if this thing could spike, so it could go up parabolic, you know, so quickly. I mean, uh, I think we have fifty percent of our debt that comes due in the next three years, which means that. If the Fed holds rates here, and that and that and that debt, the average debt that's on the Treasury's books is like uh, 1.7%, and they're having to now issue that debt somewhere in the three, you know, to four range, somewhere in there. So they're doubling that expense. Every single every single piece of debt that comes off the books now, they have to they have to issue another bond to pay for it because we don't have the money, right? I mean, we, we've walked through the math countless times. The United States doesn't make money, so we have to borrow it to pay off that old debt. So the question is, Magoo, when does it go parabolic? I mean, it feels like we're in so the middle of it. I have, I have my theories. So I have my whole theories on Keynesian economics and where the final straw could possibly be. And I, and I, I center it around demographics because you can play the shell game for a long time if you have good demographics. And what I mean by that is when, when the world's population is actually decreasing. So that whether you want to look at the UN projections, projecting that out to 2100, where they think we peak around 2100 at 11 billion people, or there's other demographers that think we're actually going to hit a lot sooner peak population on the planet around 2060, 2070, that's actually going to be a lot less than 11 billion. It's going to be around like nine or 10 billion. Um, that to me is the ultimate end game for Keynesian economics in the debt system because demographics is everything. There's a reason why boomers hit peak spending in 2007. It's not a coincidence that's when the GFC happened. And it's not a coincidence that millennials hit peak spending in 2024. 
and that's where they've been juicing this can over the last 14 years. Why do we always why do we always just skip Gen X? I mean, I'm sitting. Well, right it's here. because well, not yeah. not to hate know, man, not, about to, not to hate on you, James, but uh, <laughs> you are the smallest generation in the MTV yeah, generation. We're just whatever. But, just, move along, <laughs> move along, Gen X, move along. <laughs> so ultimately, I think the shell game ends with Keynesian mm. economics when the, when you have less people because you can you can shell game it incredibly with immigration. And the United States, Canada have done this beautifully. Europe has done it horribly. Japan, they do not like people that don't look like them. China doesn't like people that don't look like them. So their immigration game is horrible. Russia has actually been relatively very successful with increasing their fertility rates to actually keep juicing their population. We can get into how they've done that. But they've actually started to go to a fertility rate that's maintaining their population. Um, but United States and Canada have done a really good job at trying to do immigration. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when the world population peaks and there's less people tomorrow on the planet than there was yesterday, then it really gets hard to continue the debt-based system because at the end of the day, it's really, realistically a Ponzi. You need more people coming into the system than are, that are currently in more the system. Productivity. More that's productivity, right? right? And so that's when I think the end game is sometime after that happens. That's interesting. So, yeah. And, and maybe that's the point is that if you, in, you know, if you read Jeff Booth's book, the price of tomorrow, the point is we need to get to a deflationary period before that. And, you know, we, a deflationary system before that, uh, or else there's going to be a monumental collapse and that's the problem. But I don't know, Magoo, I mean, it, Maybe the numbers, maybe people just become completely numb and immune to them. That the well, they, US, they have US to. debt to GDP is six to one, and you know we've got hundreds of trillions of dollars of debt, and it, maybe maybe that's what happens just because there's no other real choice right now, you know, in people's minds. There's nowhere else to go. So, so. ultimately, I, I, ultimately, I think Japan is basically what we're looking for. It's a little bit different because Japan doesn't have the reserve currency of the world and we're able to export that. And, and they're, 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 they're exporters, but, right, right, yeah. right. So, but ultimately they're going to, I think all central banks are going to be the holders 100% of their said sovereign's debt. So there's going to be a point where the Fed owns 100% of the US, like the, the US government's debt at one point, right? And if you want to be like an accounting head, what you can do when you now own 100% of your sovereign debt, that's when you can mark things to zero, right? Like it's at that point, it becomes a belief system because when you blow up these numbers of debt to GDP, the value of the money that you're using really just comes down to belief. Because if you look back in history and look at hyperinflationary events, they're, they're, it's not a number that you just cross this threshold. Like I know people love to say, oh, over a certain percentage of GDP to – uh, to debt levels, you just never come back. But you don't get that hyperinflationary event until the belief system is lost that the value is there. What that can be and what that looks like is anyone's guess because the government has so many tools on actually propagating propaganda into changing people's belief on there. Um, but as of late, I've also been thinking, well, what if the end, like as Jeff Booth said, the, what if the end's not an inflationary uh, event. What if it's a, a massive deflationary event? 
in terms of like the dollar is not going to be hyperinflated away. It's just everything else on the planet is going to be so de deflationary that it's just going to be a massive depression like event rather than some hyper like Weimar Germany event. Man, that's depressing, but it, it, I, I, I wouldn't bet against it. I just, it's very difficult. The, the problem is, and I think you hit on it earlier, is that th these, these systems are so complex. Everything is so complex. It's very difficult for anybody to understand what, what can and will happen. And that's why, you know, um, I do believe we are in a debt spiral that eventually we do collapse, but I have no clue when that happens. And I have no clue if it's, if it's an ugly collapse or if it's, or if it's an on, you know, just a, an off ramp to be an on ramp for, for something like Bitcoin, you know, and that's my hope. My hope is that that's what happens. And the question is Magoo is, can we, can we get Bitcoin to a spot where it becomes that on ramp before we have that, massive deflationary event that's the question and this is why i frame it this way because ultimately if the current system collapsed today i personally believe you probably need to worry about how many bullets are in your clip and how many bottles of water you have more so yeah. than how many bitcoin are on your hardware wallet and so as a bitcoin enthusiast and a hardcore maximalist i still understand the plight of needing this transition to actually probably even play out longer than i'll be alive because if it doesn't, because realistically, if we, if I want to be a politician and use the words soft landing, um, if we want a soft landing of a transitional system from the current debt-based system that we're in with, which is money, and then slowly moving towards somewhat of a Bitcoin standard, or at least somewhere close to that, and we're living in a deflationary world where the population is actually decreasing and not increasing, you need Bitcoin to be almost at the relative size of where the existing economy is at or the existing treasury market. So if you look at today, the world sovereign's treasury market is something between like, I don't know, 300 and 400 trillion dollars. And so over the next 100 years, say, you would want to see Bitcoin's value rival that of the debt markets, essentially, so that it can onboard the world's population, not just in terms of the individual, but the institutions having that liquidity, having that size, because if Bitcoin is today, whatever it is, like two, 300 billion, 400 billion dollars, like that's literally a fart in the wind when it comes to like global liquidity. Um, and it cannot withstand with the collapse of the fiat system. There's just not no enough on ramps. There's not enough liquidity. It'd be absolute chaos. And so as someone who's quote unquote bullish on humanity, I would want to see this transition take place over the next hundred to 200 years rather than take place over the next five to 10 years. hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. And I don't know what that number is, you know, maybe it's a hundred, a hundred trillion or 200 trillion, but we're, everything's inflating so rapidly. It's probably, you know, in the James, yeah. is, is, is to me, the more relevant metric rather than like the total uh, outstanding debt is, is the percentage of uh, tax receipts that pay the interest on the debt because i think that's about 15 percent right now for the united states and and that's the number that's really going to rapidly rise as as they have to you know renew all of this sovereign debt um do you think that's the number that wakes up the normies when once you start seeing oh wait half of our taxes go to pay interest uh on 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 money that the government's borrowing like is, is that 
Do you think well, there's, but, a, there's a particular number that might, yeah, that might hit people? Well, it's already, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the projections that, that uh, uh, the Congressional Budget Office puts out now, you know, they're, they're projecting to take in $4.6 trillion of, of tax revenues and they've, and our, our debt are the cost of our, of our debt is, uh, is over a trillion dollars, you know? Um, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's an issue. It's like 1.4 trillion, you know? Um, so we're already past that. I mean, like, 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 Oh, I think we just lost James there for a second. The uh, the audio just went. Yeah, we just lost James's audio. Sorry, James. <laughs> You'll let us know when you're back. <laughs> sounded like he unplugged his microphone. Yeah, it sounded like the mic got unplugged. <laughs> it's kind of like a double clip and then gone. <laughs> you know, that's that's. Strange. It's the sound of a, a jack going off, is what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, exactly. All right. Sorry about that. So uh, anyways, yeah. So that we're already past that. We're a lot. We, we, we just, I think we're just brainwashed into thinking it's all going to be okay. There's no other system. I mean, n n most people who are alive today don't remember uh, us, the, the United States not being in some sort of debt situation. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, an, it's incredible. You would literally, you would literally have to be born in the late twenties or the early thirties to be in, and that's like, you were going through the great depression, obviously where the debt levels, because after world war two, like debt levels have just been going up basically. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they came down in the eighties, but then, um, but then that just, they exploded through in the two thousands. So, so I know. I know we've been talking about how much the U.S. is, for lack of a better word, fucked um, in terms of like the debt, the debt that they have, and we know how much new paper that they issue every single year or every day, whatever time frame you want to look at it. But one thing I think a lot of Bitcoiners miss, specifically because most Bitcoiners just look at like this, there are a lot of Austrian economics um, looking at this is the number of how many Bitcoins are ever going to be in existence. This is the hard cap. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And with the U.S. dollar is obviously no limit. But what a lot of people miss is the demand for the U.S. dollar. Like, so we talk about this system finally collapsing, and a lot of people don't talk about the things that the U.S. government can actually do to kind of kick this can down the road. So you see a lot of Bitcoiners talking about this is imminent. This is the next five years. This is the next ten years. But they don't realize how many weapons that not only the U.S. government and the Treasury have, but also the Federal Reserve have. As, as institutions. And that's not even talking about bringing CBDCs or bringing in incentivized like economic behaviors of money and being able to control that with CBDCs, but also who actually wants to buy US debt, right? And what could also happen in that situation is all, as all these other currencies are failing, because they're going to fail before the US dollar does, and their central banks are going to fail before the US dollar does, what are they going to do in the meantime? Because most of them are not going to be prepared to be on a Bitcoin standard, because if you're a country that's running a deficit and almost every single country runs deficits, you by very nature cannot go on a Bitcoin standard because you are actually spending more money than you're making and taking in. So your people in your country would just straight up starve and die. 
And so they're going to be looking around the world, whether it's at the IMF, whether it's at the United States for the dollars, they're going to look for a handout. And if the United States governments can dollarize countries at a fast enough rate for if you see like countries in South America, whether it's Argentina, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela, or Central America, or wherever, all over the world or Africa, where they actually start to dollarize, you create more net demand for U.S. dollars and vis-a-vis -vis more net demand for U.S. treasuries. So at the end of the day, that's the race, how much they need to print, because they have hundreds of trillions of even unfunded liabilities just in Medicaid and Medicare. So they need net new buyers of U.S. debt, and no one really talks about what they can actually do to kind of create net new buyers of debt. If you even want to focus in on crypto specific, look at stable coins. Who, that's a pretty big net buyer of debt. Like if you look at these stable coins and they start to get to be trillions of dollars, which I think some of them will be like Circle, USDC. I think that it's only a matter of time until they're in the trillions of dollars of market cap. And that's a net new buyer of U.S. treasuries. Right. And that's not even on a sovereign level where sovereign levels may because like how many countries around the world are already basically dollarized. You have El Salvador, you have Honduras, there's there's Costa Rica that uses U.S. dollars, Panama uses U.S. dollars. I think you're probably going to see a lot of Africa start using U.S. dollars with these stable coins and remittances. And so that in and of itself is creating a lot of net new buyers uh, of U.S. treasuries. And so a lot of Bitcoiners don't talk about that. They just worry about the, the supply and they don't talk about the demand. And so, like, I just think that's a really interesting conversation to have. Yeah, no, it's a good right. point. You know, and, if and I can just, of, just yeah. briefly a little bit of housekeeping, because I know we've, we've got a limited amount of time. What I want to do is we're going to transition over to, to spaces just so we can take a couple of questions from uh, people who've been watching or lis listening. Um, um, yeah, so so uh, Phil will be uh, tweeting it out from the Pleb Underground account. Um, um, we'll, we'll all ju jump in um, and continue the conversation there james did you, did you have something final you want to say before we no, transition across it's a great point uh that magoo is making there that you know look there are a lot of countries that cannot they cannot issue debt in their own currency so they have to use u.s dollar based currency they have to use you know um u.s treasury kind of to to uh to piggyback off the fact that their their currency is, is not uh you know it's not something they can they can borrow with so uh, and it creates a lot of uh, demand and it goes back to uh, Brent Johnson's milkshake theory, you know, the dollar milkshake theory. And so and that's uh, that's that's exactly what that's the race we're in. You know, um, the U.S. will win. The, I think the U.S. will win, but it's it, it, it's going to be painful for a lot of people around the world, unfortunately. And that's what we're trying to tell people is like, look, you know, if you're in another country. Um, just get, you know, get ready. And I don't know if it's 10 years, 20 years, like Magoo was saying, it could be 50, hundred years, but the pain is coming. So, I mean, realistically, the fed has re has, has failed already five times, uh, sorry, four times in the past, you know, yeah. that, that, that just gets washed over. Yeah. We so, just keep keeping, yeah. kicking the can, keep <laughs> kicking the can. So yeah, that's right. But all right, anyway. guys. All right, guys. Well, I'll try to join you over at, uh, on Spaces for a few minutes. I have another. I have a, um, a business call at two fifteen, so I got to. I'll have to jump in just a few minutes. Awesome. Thank you, guys. By the way, thank you everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it, Magoo. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? 
Well, and go uh, to space. <laughs> no, I think uh, James left it on a pretty somber note, so I'll let everyone stew on that depression for a little bit here and uh, <laughs> leave it on that. Yeah, excellent, guys. Yeah, please no, like no, and subscribe. Hope. We have hope. Let's let's end with the. I know, I know, I know. We do have, we have the hope of Bitcoin. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And don't remember fuckshitcoins.com. <laughs> see you, fellas. All right, guys. We'll see you in spaces. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Take it easy. See ya.